0: You know what? The massive disruption we've been through in the last almost two years has caused a paradigm shift in how we live and how we work. Employees are no longer satisfied with autocratic leadership and fake engagement strategies. That used to be the norm. They're looking for jobs that they really feel respected at, encouraged, and that everyone is part of creating and supporting a corporate culture that nurtures productivity rather than drives it. Today I'm chatting with my good friend, Mark Babbitt, co-author with Chris Edmonds of Good Comes First, how today's leaders create an uncompromising company culture that doesn't suck. Stay tuned for a special offer at the end of the show, and do let us know what you think of the show. I'm excited about the release of the book, and I think you're going to like it too. We've known each other for so long, and I've loved your books before, and I'm so excited about this book because this is right up my alley, and it fits so well with Mindful Social. So welcome, and thank you.
1: Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. And and I I, I said this right before we went live, but I'll say it again so now everybody hears it. Um, this isn't just a podcast interview. This is a conversation with a friend. And I thank you for letting that happen.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. You know, it's amazing how many friends we develop that, you know, through social media that we never actually meet or we never have real conversations with. And um, it's one of the things I love about, you know, Zoom is that we do get to stay in touch. We do get to have real conversations with people and it's not just based on their social media profile so that's just really cool and that kind of leads into good comes first tell us about the book how did this book come together
1: well so it's it's been a long time coming uh, I I sat down uh, like you. I had I have a friend um, that I knew on social media long before we actually got together, and his name is Chris Edmonds. And Chris Edmonds and I, uh, after years of um, parleying back and forth on uh, digitally, uh, ended up at the same conference. He attended a conference where I was the closing keynote, and we went to a steakhouse after after that keynote, and we started comparing notes, and we started realizing that company culture, which is something we both care a lot about, isn't changing fast enough because of a distinct lack of awareness among leaders, hmm. that leaders see themselves as change champions rather than maybe part of the problem. And so the more we talked about this and the more we realized the root root cause of, of not just culture change initiatives, that failed but also attempts to improve engagement or or to increase retention a lot of it was that the the leader didn't know how to be that change champion they didn't know how to model the values necessary to be the the true leader of that of that movement and and so that's where good comes first was born and and so what we've attempted to do here is right, kind of a field guide or a how-to manual on exactly how a leader, the leader, the CEO, the executive director, the president becomes that change champion and, and leads his or her company toward a culture where people feel respected and valued and appreciated. And because they feel those things, they do better work.
0: Mm. I love the term change champion. I think you need to elaborate on that a little bit, because does it have to be a CEO or could it be anybody?
1: It has to be. It has to be. Uh, And Chris and I worked together, and we worked separately for a long time. Now we work together in our consulting projects. And the first thing we tell the leader is you cannot delegate this. You Mm. are not only going to be the change champion, you are going to be the chief role model. So when we help you define these Four or five uncompromising values. And then and then we're not we're we're not gonna stop there. We're not just gonna say, oh, integrity. No, great. What does integrity <laughs> mean within these walls? Right. And and maybe we get an answer of, well, the uh, person says what they what they they do what they say they will do. Or one of our clients said, We keep our promises, right? Mm-hmm. To customers, to employees, to leaders, we keep our promises. Great. Now it's measurable because now we can go to that working group and say, "Janet, you're our leader, and we're going to rate you now on a scale of one to six on how exactly how well you keep your promises, mm-hmm. right? And if it's a three or four, well, we have some work to do there, right? But, but we can now quantify a very human emotion, and and that's what Good Comes First does. Is it helps us um, define those values and then help us list the behaviors that would allow us to see whether somebody's demonstrating those values or not and then measure what we've decided is important and Mm -hmm. once we start measuring things now we have undeniable data now we can say you know one of our one of our values is we don't swear in the office well if you get a one on that when the metrics (laughs) come out you 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 that's me too you might have some work to do right so so that's what we're trying to do we're trying to take this very human emotion and turn it into something quantifiable that we can now mentor around and coach around and Mm -hmm. and if we do that often enough and long enough now we've built a company culture where people actually want to work
0: i love that and you know it 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 makes me feel good and all warm and fuzzy because, you know, a lot of those ideas of we're going to create a corporate culture and it's all going to be around integrity. And the way we're going to measure that is we're going to gamify it. You know, if people give feedback about their coworkers, you know, we're going to give them points. And that gamification stuff doesn't actually deliver, does it?
1: It's management manipulation. Thank and, you. And- and I uh, and that's one of the things that brought Chris and I together when we both felt the same way about this. And my friends in the HR our, our HR tech space, please forgive me, but it's manipulation. And and for almost thirty years, let's just take employee engagement as an example. For thirty years, we've been gaming, manipulating employee engagement. Mm-hmm. Employees are not there to be manipulated. And if you really want to Wait, measure, what? yeah, Sorry. I know, we're, we're silly, right? But we we have to take those human values and apply them to the employee. And and if all we're doing, you know, post surveys, and don't get me wrong, we use surveys to to measure, monitor, report back on our values. We use surveys too. And and data is important, and we get that. But most of the employee engagement programs out there, uh, most of the programs that help us measure whether employees are satisfied and whether they're going to stay or go, whether they're going to refer their friends to us or not. Well, if we know that our boss is going to see the those results, even though we say they're confidential, right, we're not going to answer honestly. We're not going to answer with the, you, you, you know, integrity. Well, don't ask me a question you don't want to hear the answer to. Right, that's right. integrity. Right? I mean, so that's what we try to do here is, is we, we put people in a position where their opinion is respected even if it doesn't flow well with our current narrative or what mm-hmm. it says on our About Us page. And that, <laughs> Janet, that brings us right back into the leadership issue because some leaders, the, the older entrenched Legacy leaders, they don't yep. want to hear this stuff, right? They yep. don't want to be self-aware. They don't want to be mindful of what's really going on. You know, my HR person says we're doing great. Well, your HR person just left two months ago and you didn't even know it. <laughs> so how great are we doing? Right. So right. this is the we 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 have to be willing to listen to what the data, what the science is telling us. And and when we do that. When we, when we become willing to realize we have some work to do, that I have some role modeling to do, that I as a leader have to completely absolutely own this, no matter how bad it looks on paper, fine, it looks bad now, but six months from now, we're gonna start hiring people more aligned to our values. Mm-hmm. We're gonna start coaching and mentoring the people who according to our data are not living our values. And we're gonna change one one human being at a time. We're gonna change our culture.
0: The human approach is so important, and it's something that um, a lot of companies give lip service to. you know and and it's going back to the good old days of Silicon Valley when you know there was a a ping pong table everywhere and you had free food and you know Got even pods. in the last few years you know, these huge cafeterias and they'll pick up your dry cleaning and they'll fix your bicycle and all those things didn't necessarily improve the human experience, did it?
1: No, it made, it made life more convenient. And, the, mm-hmm. and now the data shows that people appreciated the convenience of having snacks, of having the dry cleaning done, of having the mobile massage therapist spend 20 minutes a week on you. They appreciated that stuff. It made no difference when it came to engagement it helped with hiring yeah but it didn't it you can't give somebody a massage and then invite them to a meeting and basically convince them that they're an idiot right that that's not (laughs) that's not helping right and it's
0: not helping
1: and and unfortunately uh, and 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 we love our friends at facebook but we we when we interviewed for the book we heard stories of of people that would go get the free lunch go get the massage you know ride the bike around the complex get a little exercise they you know the uh, parking garage is right there right, the train station the light rail station's right there couldn't be any better my boss is still a jerk yeah. and and it doesn't help it does if if you have all of those things and you're still not respected validated valued if you're if you feel your work doesn't matter you don't have a great culture
0: yeah agreed and so we talked about gamification now we talked about bribery. What's the next step to really getting people to actually care about where they work? Because those two things that we just talked about do not equal loyalty. And what we want is loyalty, right?
1: People, people tend to be loyalty. We use a, a phrase and good comes first repeatedly, that we want our culture our culture to be purposeful, positive and productive. Mm. And it can't be two of those three things. For instance, we can't be completely aligned with the purpose, the mission. And and it's really positive here. And we have our nap pods and we do the dry cleaning thing. And if we're a little bit late, nobody gets mad at us because we're positive. But then we show up so late, we don't get any work done. Well, that's not sustainable. We have to be productive, too. Right. right? Um, same. We can be productive, but... At what cost? If we stop being positive, then we're not being productive anymore because now we're mad all the time, right? So and we're not engaged anymore, right? So you have to have all three: purposeful, positive, productive. And that's that's our goal. That's an uncompromising culture. Now throw in the values, and and it doesn't matter what your five values are. One of the problems with writing a book called Good Comes First is we know good is defined by everybody in the within that culture we don't mm-hmm. we can't help you define good you have to define what's good for you now there's some common traits integrity being one of them right but we can help you define good you that's your job that's you and your fellow leaders and your key employees job you're going to co-create whatever that means to you and then we're well, going to yeah. we're going to live up to that right and and by the way one of my favorite terms right now is we will be self-aware and because that opens the door to everybody from the top down to say maybe i haven't performed as well as i should have or maybe i was a a a little more forceful in that meeting than i should have been and now we have a learning moment that will positively impact culture down the road
0: right
1: and even if we don't know it then a boss who we would much rather refer to instead of a manager, we'd much rather call them a mentor, that mentor sits down with you and goes, look, you might not be aware of this yet, but you were pretty forceful in that meeting. And and you, we got a lot done, but that, didn't, that doesn't align with our, our desire to be um, just as focused on the showing of respect as we are results. Mm-hmm. And you were very focused on results, but you weren't focused on respect. And so that's just, I just wanna coach you on that. It's never happened before. I doubt it'll ever happen it again, but you need to be aware that that's happening. And and so just by being focused on the values, caring just as much about the showing, the earning of respect as you do results, it changes your entire culture.
0: Mm, yeah. So those are those are challenging conversations for a lot of people to have because there's a couple of things at risk there. If they are one of the old school leaders, oh, they can't even have that conversation. It's got to be authoritarian and tell them that they got to straighten up. And, you know, that's that's one aspect of it. And then there's the other aspect of it is a boss, a leader, a mentor that doesn't want to upset the boat. You know, they don't want to rock the boat. So they go, you know, maybe we need to work on that a little bit. Or they talk about you behind your back but how do we create a culture where those conversations, those real honest conversations can allow vulnerability to go both ways and not um, make people feel like they're put on the spot because a lot of people don't like to be vulnerable. That was a well, very well, and
1: that's and uh, What a great question. That's what our company cultures have taught us, right? We, we will go in and, and before we even started the writing this book, we will we, we'll go in and we'll talk to a leader. He wants to, he wants to, improve company culture because people aren't happy here. And, and so we have, the, we have them help define unhappy. And, and one of the things we hear all the time is people aren't open to feedback, mm-hmm. right? Well, that's because feedback up until now has been once a year in a performance appraisal and something you did 11 and a half months ago is held against you that maybe we talked about it a long time ago, but now it shows up now in this piece of paper that I get to see for 10 minutes every 365 days. And our Mm -hmm. culture has taught us to be defensive. It's taught us to be aggressive, right? Protective. It's it's protective, right? Um, And and frankly, protectionism is one of the traits that that you um, implied happens with these old school leaders. We, in the book, we call it boomer male syndrome. (laughs) and. And we know we're we're taking a risk by labeling old white men as as bad. They're not bad. They just happen to have certain traits that tend to come with older, autocratic white male leaders who are used to being authoritative and decisive and bold mm-hmm. and loud and and, and annoying. Um, And quite often annoying, but they're not annoying to their fellow leaders because they're surrounded with other guys with uh, with boomer male syndrome. And it isn't just guys, by the way, we, when we were interviewing for the book, we had a female person of color. Tell me when she read the passage on boomer male syndrome, I'm, I'm that person. Mm -hmm. And I had to be, because in order to be included by my fellow leaders, I had to be Act, look, think like them.
0: Oh, absolutely. Female leaders fall into that all the time.
1: Right. And, um, and, and it became a pandemic of its own as we were doing the research for this book. I can't tell you how many female leaders came to us and said, love everything about this. But in my current company culture, I can't be that. Mm-hmm. I, I can't be me. I can't be empathetic. I can't be vulnerable. I have to be tough. I have to toe the line. I am, I am measured you have to stick by mold. right. I am measured by results. Period. I can't right. do this right. And and where male leaders tend to fall into that trap more organically, female leaders and and uh, people of color, they they just say, look, I just need to. I that's who I need to be to get mm-hmm. that promotion. That's who I need need to be to be a team leader. That's that's who I must be to get the attention of my boss's boss's boss and what we're trying to say in good comes first is let's reset the board let's make results no more important than respect and let's let the more empathetic the more vulnerable the the mentors get those promotions rise to the top and again one human being at a time one leader at a time we're changing culture
0: mhm mhm yeah no i totally get that um If we accept a culture, when we go into that culture, then we kind of have to live it. And being the squeaky wheel is not always going to result in success. Showing that vulnerability in a culture that, you know, is demanding specific things like results only. Well, having your team be productive because they're happy is a result, but it doesn't have to be just, um, performance metrics and, you know, finding ways, and I'm sure that you, you've discussed this already, but um, finding ways to make those metrics different when we have a happier team, when they work together better, we're more productive and the numbers change. So I wonder if you have any examples that you can share about that, that um, came up in your research.
1: Um, we sure do, and and we we labeled them simply. We called them contagious pockets of excellence.
0: Oh, awesome is that.
1: And and it
0: Write that down people.
1: It was um, pandemic size. It was even within cultures, even within dynamics that were not human friendly, that were exclusively driven by results on a on a you know a grand scale even within, let's take the post office, for example, right? Mm-hmm. There are post offices run by caring, empathetic leaders. Yes, they have to conform to the overall regulations, and lately they've certainly had to deal with a lot of politics, but we we interviewed employees of a post office who, they weren't necessarily best friends, they could occasionally go out to have a beer, but they understood each other, they respected each other's values, it couldn't be more diverse between white and non-white and male and female and young and old but they knew for them to work especially in a politically charged environment like the US post office they had to become a contagious pocket, pocket of excellence and mm. and that's exactly what they did in in one of the most bureaucratic agencies on the planet right. they owned their subculture and and they would they would never Treat each other disrespectfully. they 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 care for the personal and professional growth of their colleagues. they they organically divide the work. they take great pride in pulling their own weight and and living up to their commitments and their responsibilities. They do what they say they're going to do. and and they have just a terrific example of a contagious pocket of excellence. They don't need, in, in this case, they didn't even need to feel validated by the people in Washington, DC. They knew they were doing a good job right here. They're serving their community. And by the way, they decided across the board, didn't matter what was happening to the outside world, in this role, in this office, we're here to serve our community. We care about the people that we serve and that's all that matters. And boom, contagious pocket of excellence.
0: Wow, I love that. That's amazing, especially in that kind of a system. You can imagine how difficult it is to really nail down that. They must have well, been working together for a while, I would think.
1: Well, some of them, but they've. Um, I asked that question actually, and and uh, sitting down, I, uh, I said, look, I you know, I don't mean to call you out, but you're Gen Z, maybe a young millennial. I'm a young millennial. Well, what was it like to enter into this, the inner sanctum of this subculture? And and she said, from day one, I felt like I belonged here. I wow. there, I had this undying sense of belonging. Like this, we weren't just serving the community; we are a community, and and we would never want to let each other down. And and um, and now, you know, I I call. And I'm not going to say his name because I promised him I wouldn't name the office or the names. But I I call this guy Grandpa, and he responds mm. to me. Right, and it's not—it's a term of endearment. It's not—you know—I'm not calling—I'm not trying to call them old, Mm -hmm. but—but we have almost an extended family relationship within this subculture, and again, it doesn't matter what happens everywhere else.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's really cool. That is not one of the companies that I would have expected you to tell us about. Mm -hmm. But uh, and and some of the companies
1: that the Janet that you might expect to have really good cultures. Their culture suck. Mm. They're overly aggressive. They're incredibly demanding. People are working 82, 85 hour uh, 85 hours a week. They're not seeing their families. They're and, and if you don't do that, if you don't if you don't passively agree that you're going to work that number of hours and then actually do it, then you are shown the door. And and it's never because you didn't work 80 hours a week. It's always for another reason, but Right. I mean, some of the companies that we put up on a pedestal, some of the companies that we college students, when they, when they fill out their applications near graduation, oh my God, if I could just get a job there, I'd be set for life. Well, those companies suck and you don't want to be there. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a reason people only last two years there. Mm-hmm. If it's, if it's that, if that company represents your idea of a dream job, why is turnover every 2.1 years? Yeah. Right. Um, so, and now Janet, let's think about this for real quick. Let's think about how the pandemic has changed work.
0: Oh my gosh. Right? Yeah.
1: Right. So now uh, let's just say I'm a little bit older and I, and I've gotten used to being there when my kids get home from school and I like being available to my elderly parents. And I like patting the the dog on the head as I walk by to get lunch. Right. I feel comfortable here. I feel secure here. I'm safe. I have a hand now in deciding when and where and how work gets done. I don't feel like I'm micromanaged. And now, boom, you want me to come back in the office and forget all that freedom and autonomy <laughs> you've given me for the last 18 months? Right, forget right? about well, there's it. there's some really big, high profile companies who are insisting that their people come back to work, yeah. right? Look at Wall Street example. Almost every firm there is saying no. The CEO of Goldman Sachs said, well, no, that, that doesn't really work for us. Mm-hmm. Well, it worked for your employees, and their productivity didn't go down. Right? Yeah. Your retention rates went up. Your productivity went up. Your profits went through the roof, and this somehow doesn't work for you? Well, guess who's suffering from boomer mail syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. That, that guy doesn't get it, and he doesn't want to get it. And especially our younger generations, they're just not going to tolerate it. They're going to go, nope, I'm walking with my feet. I'm going to go, I – I loved my job. I loved working for you big high profile company that I thought was going to be my dream job, but I really want to work in a hybrid situation. Now. Mm -hmm. I don't want to commute every day. I want to be there for my kids on certain days. I want to go to their soccer games. I want to pet the dog and I'm not going to work for you anymore. I'm going to go find a new dream company that better matches my values. And, And that's, that's, that's not a policy discussion, Janet, that's a culture discussion. And that's what we're trying to get leaders to realize is mm-hmm. policies should be written to enforce your ideal culture or to support your ideal culture, not the other way around.
0: Right, right. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, we're seeing everywhere people are, are voting with their feet. And, um, you know, the idea that, you know, we've spent all this time working from home and productivity has gone up and it's also cost companies a whole lot less money to be able to maintain, you know, when they start looking at profit profitability, it's not bringing people back into the office necessarily. And um,
1: it's not at all. And I'll tell you here, uh, I'll show you um, uh, two different companies and how they approach culture. Great. One learns without a doubt, like a lot of company has, that their employees have been more productive since they worked from home, despite the the the, you know, the kids, the 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 four-legged kids, the the extended family concerns, right? um interruptions with Netflix, distractions with Netflix, right? We've ultimately we've we've been more productive. But mm-hmm. the downside of that is people, some people are working more. they're working longer hours, they're working after dinner, right? They're because again, they like that freedom. they like the freedom of being able to win, choose when and where I get my work done. So they're not going, you know they're not leaving work and leaving work, there, work's still right here in, in the mm-hmm. office next to the kitchen. And one company says, well, that's not our fault. That's, they're a choice there, right? And, and offers no support for the in, inevitable stress and burnout that comes with working more hours. Mm-hmm. Another company says, you know what? We are saving so much money on utilities and space and infrastructure and resources that we're going to extend our mental health mental wellness benefits to include virtual counseling
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and we're going to make people actually take their time off you know from friday at whatever time you choose until monday at whatever time you choose you are not allowed to check email we're going to shut you down it, mm-hmm. you're off you're off now right and and a, a company like bamboo hr actually pays their people to take a paid vacation. Wow. They pay them while they're on vacation, and Bamboo HR will say, here's $2,100, go buy you and your partner a cruise. Go to Venice. Go to Mexico. Go. J- go, right? Well, that's somebody who obviously cares about culture. It isn't, isn't just a – again, this isn't an employee benefit conversation. It's a culture conversation. Mm-hmm. you think people would want to leave – bamboo h r. to go to a competitor, well, not the, the competitor doesn't let you work from home, doesn't offer paid paid vacations, tolerates miscommunication and bullying in the in the conference rooms. Well, you're never going to leave a company like bamboo h r unless you just have a major you know life choice, like you want to go start a family or you move closer back home or something. bamboo h r doesn't lose good people because they know. The kind of culture they want to have that supports good people, and that's the mm-hmm. whole idea, Janet. Is good people doing good work in a good place to work. That's the, that's the end result we're we're all
0: shooting for. Yeah, yeah, and it it certainly should be, and I think that you know we're going to be seeing more and more companies realizing that by default because they're going to be like, how come they got these people and they left us, and when people have that epiphany the CEOs, the CXOs, have that epiphany and realize why people are leaving, they're going to leave too because they're going to want that.
1: And here's what's, you know, we talked to very early in the conversation about self-awareness and mm-hmm. um, believing what the data and the science tells us. Well, there's, there's three areas that, that we have all the data, leaders have all the data in their hands right now. One of them that drives people away where people vote with their feet, gender pay equity right? You have what you have paid everybody on your payroll. You have their gender, you have their title, you have their longevity, you have everything you need to, to determine whether or not you have a gender pay gap or not within your company. You could learn the facts in 45 minutes, maybe a day, maybe a day.
0: But you'd have to take the, make the effort.
1: But you'd have to make the effort, right? Same with um, attraction of top talent. You have your HR people start charting, though, this... I can't, we can't lose her. We can't lose her to the competition.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, how
1: many of those do you actually close? How many, you're you're losing 85% of the people you can't lose? Mm. Well, what does that say about your employer brand, your, your hiring process, your culture? You're losing eight out of 10 people you can't lose, right? And then here's another one uh, for the, all the leaders listening. If you really want to put a, a thermometer in the mouth of your company and see how great your culture is, Ask if your employee referrals, where you know an existing employee is inviting a friend, a colleague, a, a social media buddy to come work for your company because they love it so much they're they actually want to invite people in.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Are those numbers going up or down? Are they staying the same?
0: And are you paying them to do that, or are they doing it on their own? Well,
1: that's a big part of it, right? how are yeah. you how are you making them partners in this conversation mm-hmm. right? and And we had a leader just a few months ago tell us, you know, we're doing really good on the culture thing, but we're we're only getting like three, this is a, a company of 6,000 people. We're only getting three employee referrals a month. Well, wait, you said you were doing really good on culture, <laughs> but only three people are referring. I mean, you have how many jobs open? 125. So you have 125 jobs open and only three employees are, feel strongly enough about the culture and the company to. Refer their friends?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No, you're not doing ok with company culture. You're listening to somebody who's not presenting the facts. Mm-hmm. Go, go look at the data. go look at the science. and now, let's make good decisions.
0: Get out of your silo and talk to real people.
1: Boomer male syndrome.
0: Boomer male syndrome. I just love that. And I shouldn't cause, you know, I'm a boomer, too and i've been there i mean i've worked in the restaurant industry i've worked in the horse industry i've worked in the tech industry all three of them i confess up until now i would stand up with the men and fight just as hard as they did and you know it's it's something that i recognize now that i didn't recognize then but hey i survived and you and know that's you did
1: what you had to do
0: that's right
1: right period that the the men in in the in those corporate offices didn't give you any choice, right? You no. you had to fight back. And and boy, we heard that a lot. And I'll tell you, speaking of fighting back, we've we've actually had people look at me and Chris, I'm a 60-year-old white male, Chris is 68, I believe, also a white male, saying, "Why are you starting this discussion? You're are you crazy? You can't represent us. You don't know what we've been through." No, we don't. No, we can't. But we can tell you that the a sign of a truly respectful company culture is respecting people for the value they bring, and not worrying about anything else. Mm-hmm. And and we've seen it where, you know, we interview people uh, where they said, "Mark, you would not believe how I was treated in the, in the boardroom or in the C suite as as a female." Like yeah. everybody else comes in, it's like, you know, see that football game um uh, did you try that scotch i sent you i walk in the door and they go oh you did something different with your hair <laughs> <laughs> i just worked all night to prepare for this meeting and you care about my hair mm-hmm. are you kidding me right now do you do you have any idea how disrespectful that feels right so we can we haven't lived it we 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 don't completely understand the experience. We can't because we we can't change the fact that we're older white males, but we can start a really tough conversation around why change efforts don't work and why offices aren't as diverse as they should be and why equity isn't as important as it should be because all of those things add up to the respect being shown employees. And that's the kind of conversation we're trying to
0: start. Yeah. Yeah yeah well okay so i have to push back against that conversation a little bit because in the first place it's exactly white men your age who need to be having this conversation because those old school leaders are not going to respect a woman couldn't come in and have this conversation with them they wouldn't listen but when it's someone that they consider a cohort that's wonderful and the second thing to say about that is that there is a boomer generation that is beginning to absorb the culture of the younger generation, the millennials and, and younger, that we see it and go, wow, you know, I've worked for 40 years and I want that. I totally get what they're asking for and the respect that they want. And, you know, from from my side as a mindfulness coach, as an executive coach, it's like, yeah. We need to start making those changes and not allow ourselves to be relegated to the old white folk label. We don't have to take that label.
1: I'll, 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 one, you're absolutely right. We don't have to accept that label at all. Not at all. Because we know we're not that kind of a person, right? And, right. And, and it doesn't matter if it's you know male, female, white, non-white, person of color, right doesn't matter uh, uh, sexual preference doesn't matter if 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 we all stand up and say i want to be part of the solution not the problem then we can have those kind of conversations right and
0: yes
1: and we're not pretending to be that female executive who's been bullied for 20 years we can't be that i'm not a person of color i have no clue what a person of color has gone through right except for the stories that we heard and the stories that we heard certainly led us to believe that it is the old white guys that need to have this conversation because you are currently in control. Mm -hmm. You have done in some cases, not all cases, everything in your power. you've, You've rallied every protectionist bone in your body to remain in control of corporate America, of politics, of so many other things that now you need to be part of the conversation to help us fix that. And we can't change it without you. Mm-hmm. right and so that that's the that's the conversation we want to we want to start because we can't change culture if we're not willing to listen we can't we can't make the workplace a better place if if we aren't vulnerable enough to hear how people have been treated and 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 it's not a touchy feely thing it's not a kumbaya thing right and i can't go to a leader jenna as you can imagine chris can't go to a leader and go well, we have to we have to start treating people with respect. Leader says, screw that, I have third quarter results to worry about. Right. So we have to approach this where we say, if we define our values, if if we measure people on how well they live up to those values, if we look at other data points to help us change the culture so people do feel valued, respected, validated, then your customer service ratings are going to go up. 20, 25, 30%. Your engagement's going to go up 35% easy because almost nobody's engaged right now, right? Your your profits, your productivity, because people are more engaged, are being more innovative, are giving more of themselves at work. They're not just going through the motions. They're actually contributing to your success. Productivity and profits are going to go way up. So we're not talking about this kumbaya, foo-foo, You know, everybody has to feel good. Thing, no, there's science to back up the fact that if we make people feel good about the work they're doing, they do better work. And when they do better work, as a leader, you'll see huge improvements in all those metrics that you've been trained to care so much about. All we're Mm -hmm. asking you to care to do is care as much about respect as you do those metrics.
0: I love it. You know, and and of course I do because you're actually validating my existence. So, you know. As as someone who teaches the quote-unquote soft skills, you know, it's really important that people begin to recognize that soft skills are not a weakness, they're a strength. And when you can come with the data and you can come with the actual, here's, this is how the, this is going to make you successful, yes, that's going to work. And yes, we're going to see more success and better cultures because there's a reason for it. And if that's what it takes to get them there, that's totally fine with me.
1: Talk about strange bed pillows. Do you, um, have you had a chance to think about the, and again, I'm not, we, we never want to say the pandemic is, the you know, oh, silver lining of a pandemic. No, 700,000 people are dead, right? We're not saying that. Right. But I will tell you to this point, under the point you made just a little while ago, the pandemic has accelerated the old school leaders, Mm -hmm. uh, absorption absorption of the fact that something else other than work matters. They've got to work from home too. They've got to spend more time with their college-age kids who had to come home. They got Mm -hmm. to rebuild relationships with their own children, their grandchildren, their pets. They got to be there for for their moms and dads last moments. They couldn't have done that if they were on an airplane to Hong Kong, right? right. Or, or or living in a different state, the pandemic for all of its faults has brought a certain human component into leadership circles. Mm-hmm. And they learned over the last 18 months that it doesn't have to be working 80, 100 hours a week. I don't have to be on an airplane all the time. That's not where I'm gonna get my sense of fulfillment. That doesn't make me powerful. That doesn't that doesn't make me more authoritative. I've learned that I can slow down and still get my work done, and I can be a husband and a father and a grandpa and a and a dog owner and a a cat owner. and I can i can I can enjoy life. I didn't know this was an option.
0: Mm-hmm. No, nobody, they didn't.
1: No, nobody trained me how to do this. My mentors didn't do it. My predecessors didn't do it. The, the professors at business school sure didn't say how cool this would be. Right. This is all new to all of us. And it has mm-hmm. literally accelerated this. This I don't know, this curve toward it's a disruption more, more. It's a disruption. It, yeah, it, we even some of the most old school leaders have become more human over the last 18 months. And mm-hmm. and the other side of this, that that's why it hurts when, like, the CEO of a of a Wall Street firm says, screw all that, go back to work. It's like, what, dude, you learn nothing you're making us all look bad. Stop being a jerk.
0: Stop being a jerk. Exactly. Right? And, wow. and
1: and, and not, so not all of us have learned, but I'm telling you, Janet, in our work, we're seeing people my age, your age that are saying, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that person anymore. I, yeah. I don't want to live for work anymore. And it has, it has um, changed how people lead. And that, and, that's why we're hopeful with maybe, and maybe good comes first will help accelerate that too to make people think, no, I don't have to be, I don't have to be what I was trained to be. I can be this, yes. I can be more empathetic. I can be more vulnerable. I can be more of a mentor than a, than a hard ass, right? I don't have to be that. I can choose to be this and let's hope that happens.
0: Yeah, and I really hope that, you know, those people who feel like they have to be a hard ass all the time, May have realized now that they don't really, and that it's not fun being a hard ass all the time. It's just not. So,
1: you know, and I it think takes so much energy. It's oh so my hard. Oh, gosh.
0: Yes. And, you know, I think that if this had been a three month disruption as we thought it would be originally, we wouldn't have seen this massive change. But we're seeing it everywhere. We're seeing companies like Leon pop up that are helping you measure those metrics. And, you know, helping people understand what uh, a kind culture looks like and how that isn't a bad thing. So I think there's a lot of change happening. We're seeing a lot of um, companies really benefiting from the disruption and, you know, making these realizations. And I think that there we're going to see a lot more of that to come. And I'm very excited about that.
1: Your mouth to God's ears. Let's hope that's the case. (laughs)
0: Let's hope. Well, Mark, as always, this conversation is too short, and I appreciate spending time with you. I always learn something, and gosh, it was really good. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you. As always, uh, you you bring out the best in everyone. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Thanks. And I did want to mention to everybody that if you subscribe to the mailing list, and do they get that on the, the website?
1: Goodcomesfirst.com. Yes, if if they go to um, uh, scroll down to the bottom of the page on good 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 goodcomesfirst.com.
0: Great, and then you'll get the forward, which was written by Venus Williams. Oh my gosh! And the first chapter of the book. So go sign up for the newsletter, and then get the book. You know, you can pre-order it now. The links will be in the the description on the website. It's coming up really, really soon, and I just hope this book just takes off. I want to see it on the New York Times bestseller list, because it's going to be great. Thank you. Thank you. Janet. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Mindful Social. It's been so great to see the subscriptions growing, and the feedback has really helped me make the show even better. So if you know somebody who needs to be on the show, email me at Janet at and please send me feedback there too or post a review on the podcast platform you're listening on oh and do me a favor share this show on social media or with a friend thank you